From Pain to Humility. David Brooks, in his new bestseller, The Road to Character, draws a sharp distinction between what he calls the resume virtues, the achievements and skills that bring success, and the eulogy virtues, the ones that are spoken about in funerals, the virtues and strengths that make you the kind of person you are when you're not wearing masks or playing roles, the inner person that friends and family recognize as the real you. Brooks relates this distinction to the one made by Rabbi Soloveitchik Zetzal in his famous essay, The Lonely Man of Faith. There he speaks of Adam, one, the human person as creator, builder, master of nature, imposing his or her will on the world, and Adam, two, the covenantal personality living in obedience to transcendent truth, guided by a sense of duty and right in the will to serve. Adam, one, seeks success. Adam, two, strives for charity, love, and redemption. Adam, one, lives by the logic of economics, the pursuit of self-interest and maximum utility. Adam, two, lives by the very different logic of morality, where giving matters more than receiving and conquering desire more important than satisfying it. In the moral universe, success, when it leads to pride, becomes failure. Failure when it leads to humility, becomes success. In that essay, first published in 1965, Rabbi Soloveitchik wondered whether there was a place for Adam II in the America of his day. So intent was it on celebrating human powers and economic advance. Fifty years on, David Brooks echoes that doubt. We live, he says, in a society that encourages us to think about how to have a great career, but leaves many of us inarticulate about how to cultivate the inner life. That is a central theme of Balotacha. Until now we've seen the outer Moses, worker of miracles, mouthpiece of the divine word, unafraid to confront Pharaoh on the one hand, his own people on the other, the man who shattered the tablets engraved by God himself and who challenged him to forgive his people, and if not Machenina, Blot me out from the book you have written. That is the public Moses, the figure of his heroic strength. In the Soloveitchik terminology, that is Moses one. But in Balotacha, we see Moses two, the lonely man of faith. It's a very different picture. In the first scene, we see him break down. The people are complaining again about the food. They have manna, but no meat. They engage in false nostalgia, how we remember the fish that we used to eat in Egypt for free and the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic. This is one act of ingratitude too many for Moses, who gives voice to deep despair. Why did you bring all this trouble to your servant? Why haven't I found favour in your eyes that you're placing the burden of this whole people on me? Did I conceive this people? or give birth to them, that you tell me to carry them in my lap the way a nurse carries a baby. I cannot carry this whole nation. The burden's too heavy for me. If this is going to how you are going to treat me, please kill me now, if I have found favour in your eyes, because I cannot bear seeing all this misery. Then comes the great transformation. God tells him to take 70 elders who will bear the burden with him. God takes the spirit that's on Moses 
and extends it to the elders, two of them, Eldad and Medad, among the six chosen from each tribe but left out of the final ballot, began prophesying within the camp. They too caught Moses' spirit. Joshua feared that this would lead to a challenge to Moses' leadership and urged Moses to stop them. Moses answers with surpassing generosity. Are you jealous on my behalf? Would that all God's people were prophets and that he would rest his spirit on each of them. The mere fact that Moses now knew he wasn't alone, seeing 70 elders share his spirit, cured him of his depression, and he now exudes a gentle, generous confidence that is moving and unexpected. In the third act, we finally see where all this drama has been tending. Now it's Moses' own brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, who start disparaging him. The cause of their complaint, that he'd taken an Ethiopian wife, is not clear and there are many interpretations. But the point, though, is that Moses, for Moses, this is the et tu brute moment. He has been betrayed, or at least slandered, by those closest to him. Yet Moses is unaffected, and it's here that the Torah makes its great statement. Now the man Moses was very humble, more so than any other man on the face of the earth. This is something new in history. The idea that a leader's highest virtue might be humility must have been seemed absurd, almost self-contradictory in the ancient world. Leaders were proud, magnificent, distinguished by their dress, appearance, and regal manner. They built temples in their own honour. They had triumphant inscriptions engraved for posterity. Their role wasn't to serve, but to be served. Everyone else was expected to be humble, not they. Humility and majesty could not coexist. In Judaism, this entire configuration was overturned. Leaders were to serve, not to be served. Moses' highest accolade was to be called Eved Hashem, God's servant. He's called that 18 times in Tanakh, and only one other person, Yoshua, his successor, earns this title. Moses' first response to God's call at the burning bush was one of humility. Mi anochi, who am I to lead? It was precisely this humility that qualified him to lead. In Baal we track the psychological process by which Moses acquired a yet deeper level of humility. Under the stress of Israel's continued recalcitrance, Moses turned inward. Listen again to what he says. Why have you brought all this trouble to your servant? Did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? Where can I get meat for these people? I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Did you hear the key words there are I? me, myself. Moses has lapsed into the first person singular. He sees the Israelites' behavior as a challenge to himself, not God. And God has to remind him, is the Lord's arm too short? This isn't about Moses. It's about what and whom Moses represents. Moses had been for too long alone. It wasn't that he needed the help of others to provide people with food. That was something God could do without the need for any human intervention. It was that he needed the company of others to end his almost unbearable isolation. 
as I've noticed as I've noted elsewhere that Torah only twice contains the words lotov not good lotov adam levado it's not good for man to be alone and when Moses is met by Yisro who sees him leading alone and Yisro says lotov adavar so what you are doing is not good we cannot live alone we cannot lead alone. As soon as Moses saw the 70 elders share his spirit, his depression disappeared, and he could say to Joshua, would that all God's people were prophets. Are you jealous on my behalf? And he is undisturbed by the complaint of his own brother and sister praying to God on Mary's behalf when she's punished with leprosy. He had recovered his humility. Now we understand what humility is. Humility is not self-abasement. Actually, it was C.S. Lewis who put it best. He said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. True humility means silencing the I. For genuinely humble people, it's God and other people and principle that matter, not me. As it was once said of a great religious leader, he take, took God so seriously that he didn't have to take himself seriously at all. Omar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan said, Wherever you find the greatness of the Holy One, blessed be he, there you find his humility. Greatness is humility for God and those who seek to walk in his ways. It is also the greatest single source of strength, because if we don't think about the I, we can no longer be injured by those who criticize or demean us. They're shooting at a target that no longer exists, the ego. What Balosachai is telling us through these three scenes in Moses' life is that sometimes we achieve humility only after a great psychological crisis. It's only after Moses had suffered a breakdown and prayed to die that we hear the words the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone on earth. Suffering breaks through the carapace, the hard shell of the self, making us realize that what matters is not self-regard, but rather the part we play in a scheme altogether larger than we are. Lahavdil, David Brooks, reminds us that Abraham Lincoln, who suffered from depression, emerged from the crisis of civil war with the sense that Providence had taken control of his life and that he was a small instrument in a transcendent task. The right response to existential pain, says Brooks, is not pleasure, but holiness, by which he means, in his words, seeing the pain as part of a moral narrative and trying to redeem something bad by turning it into something sacred, some act of sacrificial service, that will put oneself in fraternity with the wider community and with eternal moral demands. This for me was epitomized by the parents of the three Israeli teenagers killed last summer, who responded to their loss by creating a series of rewards for those who have done most to enhance the unity of the Jewish people, turning their pain outward and using it to help heal other wounds within the nation. Crisis, failure, loss, pain, can move us from Adam 1 to Adam 2, from self-centeredness to other directiveness, from mastery to service.
from the vulnerability of the I to the humility that reminds us that you are not the center of the universe, but rather that you serve a larger order. Those who have humility are open to things greater than themselves, while those who lack humility simply don't. That is why those who lack humility make you feel small, while those who have it make you feel enlarged. Their humility inspires greatness in others.